Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 to 35, the last part of Joshua chapter 8. Let's hear the word of God. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, excuse me, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. And there is God's holy and errant word, And as we read it, may we hear it, and may we do it to the glory of our God. You will notice if you have a new King James Bible that there's a heading above this section about Joshua renewing the covenant. Well, that's not what's happening. God is renewing his covenant. And and there's a little bit of some of the problems when you start trying to interpret scripture with headings and things of that nature. This is a time of covenant renewal for Israel. Now think of the timeline that we've looked at. We're we're in at the end of chapter 8, and Moses has died a little over maybe a year, a year and a half prior to this. They had that time of mourning for him. Then they had the crossing of the Jordan River and the camping uh, away from Jericho. Then they had the the war against Jericho and that mighty hand of God uh, taking down the walls and them uh, taking and destroying the city and Rahab being delivered. And then they had that time uh, where uh, they were dealing with Achan, their first attempt on the city of Ai that was a little further off from Jericho and uh, how devastating that was for them. And they had to sit back and realize that Sin was in their camp, that they had fallen short of God's requirements and righteousness. And and so there was a time there of of dealing with sin and of having uh, that uh, cleansed from their midst. And them being revived in their faith in the Lord and being renewed in their own hearts to again take up the mantle that God had given them to go and establish the kingdom of God in this land of Canaan, to lay hold of the promised land as God had given it to them. And so they have taken I. 
Now, what doesn't come to us here is the fact that now we're seeing they're standing before Mount Ebal and performing some kind of ceremony. And, and it's happening just after two battles on the nearness of the edge of the Jordan River. Uh, what we don't realize has happened here is that Joshua has taken the whole camp of Israel and they have gone north about 30 to 50 kilometers, you know, in around that space. Now, imagine you're moving a million plus people 50 kilometers north after you've had two battles and before you do anything else in the land. In fact, what we're going to see is afterwards they come all the way back to Gilgal again. Why would Joshua take Israel on this route? They, they are actually going into the land of Shechem. And they're going to this place where there are these two mountains. You know them by name in here. Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. And the land in between them was known as the land of Shechem. And they're going up here for the purpose of being renewed by God in their covenant obligations. God has made covenant with Israel that he would be their God and that he would give them the land and that they would be established in a land flowing with milk and honey and know the greatness of the blessings of God. And here at this point, he is renewing his pledge to them in a manner of setting before them the obligation that they have to walk before him in holiness, in truth, in blamelessness, in faith. After two battles, this has become necessary. Why? Because even in, in this space, and I'm generous in giving it about a year and a year and a half of time from chapter one to now. Even in this time, how has Israel's conduct been? It's that roller coaster, isn't it? Where they're up on a, a high note as God is showing and displaying his presence with them and encouraging them along and then sin comes in and, and brings them down to this lowly place where they think that God has abandoned them. And like I said before in Joshua 7, Joshua even accuses God of forsaking his covenant to them. And they're in this low place and then God comes and as sin is dealt with in their midst and within their own hearts and their faith is strengthened, they come up and they, they take hold of, of I and they've conquered another city and they're moving forward. But as we go through Joshua and as we prepare to go through Judges, what are we going to see with these people? You know, their, their faith looks like this. In fact, it probably looks more like this. And lower and lower and lower. And covenant renewal with God is always a necessity in our lives. You, you know in our time of worship in the morning on every Lord's Day we have that time. Why? Because we are being reminded of what God expects of us in our life. 
God is building us up. God is strengthening us. God is reviving our faith and our hope and our love in Him today. But it's with the purpose that tomorrow when we go into the world, we are renewed in strength to serve God. And by the time Saturday ends, if you're a normal Christian, you're weary, you're tired. And at times in that weariness and tiredness, don't you even find it? Getting up Sunday morning to go to church is even itself a struggle, isn't it? Why? Because we're weak. We're constantly faced with the issues of sin in the world around us. We're, We're constantly faced with that warfare with Satan. We're constantly faced with the struggle of the corruption in nature in our hearts that is not yet fully dealt with. And nothing is changed. Uh, Joshua and Israel need that same covenant renewal. It's what God does for us. You know, I, I strive to say this often, and I encourage you guys to be saying it as well to your fellow believers, but why is the Lord's Day the Lord's Day? <laughs> It's because God has given it to us. Because God knows what we need, not just in one service a week, but in the fullness of this day. He knows what we need to be renewed and strengthened in the Lord for what is waiting for us in this coming week. And he's fully prepared to help and fill us. The problem is here. In our hearts. And even before Israel goes any further after conquering two cities and all the mess that is in between those two victories, before they go any further, the Lord God was ensuring that Israel understood who they were as a covenant people. Who are you? How do you identify yourself? I hope it's a verse you should memorize. Actually, it's two verses you should memorize. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. I hope you know this. Because if somebody asks you, what does it mean for you to be a Christian? Here is a great answer. It means that I am a chosen generation. I know that sounds, you know, kind of arrogant. But, but that's, that's what he says. What does God say? Who are you? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, our mediator, to come into his presence. That's what it means to be a royal priest. And every one of you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a people made holy in the glory and majesty of God. We are his own special people, a very treasure that God has plucked from the earth to be his kingdom people. We are such people that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And look at verse 10. Don't stop there. At verse 9, look at verse 10. What does it say there? Once you were not a people, but now are the people of God. 
My friends, I, I don't know how to fill your heart with the thrill of the knowledge of those words. Hopefully the Spirit of God does. You're the people of God. You were once one without mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. I think of no other place except for Exodus 19 from where Peter takes those words. That, that says, what does it mean for you to be a Christian? It means this. And it, and it hasn't changed from Joshua's day. God said to Israel when they were before Mount Sinai, those same words, you are a royal people, a holy nation, people that I have called to be my own. And the problem that Israel had was remembering that. It's the problem we have. I, I say this not... Not again to bring that measure of shame, but just that this realization. There will be days this coming week where you will sin and you will not think to repent. Why? Because we forget who we are. And we forget who we are in Christ. We forget our God. And so covenant renewal was necessary. And the point of where they have gone for this, again, is an important point. I said, you need your Bibles to go with me. Turn back to Genesis 12. And here in Genesis 12, we know this is the beginning of God's covenant with Abraham. That through Abraham would come forth the people of God. And we know what this means is that those who, like Abraham, exercising faith in God, are united to Christ and become his kingdom people on the earth. As you look here and you, you, you see the covenant God makes to Abraham in verses 1 to 3. And, and you listen to those words because they're going to come up again. But he promises blessing to Abraham. Verse 2, I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will what? Curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then what do we see? Abraham, hearing this, departed, did what God said. He came to the land of Canaan, verse 5. And, and they came to a land in the place of Shechem, where the terebinth tree was. And there, look at verse 7, what the Lord says to Abraham. To your descendants, I will give this land. And Abraham responded how? He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there uh, to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Where was, Ab where, where was Abraham when he built that altar? In Shechem, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. And God had said to Moses, and you can go back uh, to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, when Joshua brings Israel in, it was, it was here that God wanted Joshua to bring the people to Mount Ebal, to Mount Gerizim. It was here where Abraham built that first altar to the Lord to worship God as his covenant people. And it was here 
that Joshua had been instructed to bring Israel for the tribes to stand on these two mountains to hear and to receive the knowledge of the covenant God had made with them to hear and receive the blessings and the curses of God that would be meted out in accordance to his law and their obedience by faith to him. It doesn't stop there. We don't have to go to it, but in John 4, it was here that Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan. She was at Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there in the land of Shechem between these two mountains. And it was there that Jesus met a woman who was bragging about how they had the worship of God all down packed. And it was supposed to be on Mount Gerizim, the mountain that represented the blessings of God. And Jesus says to her, you don't understand what that represented. It wasn't about a place. It was about a person, <laughs> me. It was about the promise of the one who would come to enable all of God's people to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what God was seeking. And God is seeking worshipers. And he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And he basically said to the woman, you've missed it. <laughs> And we know that because we heard it from the call. Who is the true worshiper of God? Jesus. And, and in whom are we thus enabled to worship God in spirit and truth? It is through the great liturgist himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, as we look at these verses in Hebrews 8, what, what we are seeing, it is here that God chose to be the place of renewing his covenant with Israel. You see it in verse 33. What is the, the great desire of God? His great desire is to bless Israel. That they should bless the people of Israel. His greatest desire. And in, in that desire to bless the people of Israel, he set before them their obligation of faith to trust in him, to be obedient to his law. We heard this morning about what the work of faith is. It is to so trust God's word that we will obey him even in the midst of trials and temptations, with a contented peace in our God. That's the work of faith. But we know, because we, we are descendants of Adam, Adam failed in that, didn't he? Adam's work of faith fell desperately short. He had one law, which is, a summation of the whole law. I believe all Ten Commandments were broken in his disobedience. But it was one, one rule. Don't eat of that tree. He wasn't content. He wasn't at peace with his God to obey him. He failed. We failed. 
which makes what's happening here more clear and, and indeed, in a very powerful way, more stinging to Israel because as they are going to hear all of the curses and the blessings, they can't help but stand there before God and to say, wow, we are in trouble. <laughs> uh, my obedience falls desperately short, however good I think it is. Man, I should be cursed a thousand times over. But it's also in that that as we see, the Lord is, is showing them his mercy, his covenant love to them that is always true, always faithful. That they're not resting in their obedience, that they are to be resting in the mercy of God that endures forever. And that's always the test of faith, isn't it? The work of faith is trusting God and trusting Him with an obedience in the midst of trials and temptations where we have a contented peace with God. But that very work of faith becomes its own test because we tend to put more stock in our faithfulness and our obedience and our works and our doing than we do in the mercy of God who knows and sees what even our work of faith looks like in all its purity and sinfulness. God sees it. And so God is calling Israel to, to, uh, to this covenant renewal. And it isn't the first time. This becomes every seven years something that Israel was to do. To remember who they were. To remember their God. And so we have them standing before these two mountains, first of all. They're before Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And, and they're directed to split the people in half. Six tribes uh, over to one mountain and six tribes over to another. And Deuteronomy 27, uh, the division of those tribes is listed there. And, and for whatever else you read about these two mountains, I know some say Mount Ebal had nothing growing on it. Mount Gerizim was green and lush, that it, it would represent in those ways the, the cursings and the blessings of God. For whatever reason, God chose these two mountains for the purpose of illustrating to Israel the two sides of God's covenant with them, the two sides of the covenant of grace. And the two sides of the covenant of grace, as much as God has covenanted with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that if you come and you be that uh, mediator for my people, if you offer up your life in their place through your sacrifice, I will bring salvation to them and I will give you this inheritance of people. The covenant of grace was made with Jesus and in Jesus, it flows to us. As Jesus faithfully fulfilled that covenant, the blessings of God's salvation meet us. But if you don't believe, you hear the warnings of Hebrews. The one who understands that gospel so far and, and who has 
tasted and experienced the presence of the Spirit and, and understands what God has promised and looks at it and says, I don't want it and turns away. What does he say? There is a greater punishment waiting for such a one. Friends, that, that's, that's my fear for covenant children who turn away from the church. There is a sore punishment waiting for them. We hope, as long as they are alive, that they're prodigal. Lord save them. But we sometimes forget that's the other side of the covenant. You do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal death is all that is before you. And that same thing was true for Israel. As they came to this place and as they performed that service that God required of them, the the blessings for faith and hope and love to God were set before them. The curses for disobedience and idolatry and straying were set before them. And, And in Israel's early history in the land, just as far as they've already come, they experienced both. A victory at Jericho. They didn't lose a single man. Can you imagine? They go to I and they lose 36. It's here in a time of worship that this covenant renewal would be inscribed upon their hearts and minds, upon every man, woman, child, and stranger. And isn't it interesting that's set there twice, but especially at the end, everyone will know this. Then if you were to turn to Deuteronomy 27, and you, you see this, uh, what, what happens in verses 33 to 35 uh, is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where, where they're standing on the mountains, and you get down to verse 11, where Moses says to the people that these shall stand on Mount Gerizim and, and to bless the people. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, he lists the tribes there. In verse 14, uh, the Levites will speak with a loud voice and say to all of the men, and here from verse 15 down to the end, the curses are, are laid out for them. And what was all of Israel supposed to say every time they heard a curse? Amen. God, you are just to bring your curses down upon us if we make a carved image, if we treat our mother and father with contempt, if we, and so on, so on, so on. We hear your law. You are just in condemning us to eternal death if we disobey. Words of the law read respecting the curses and the people saying amen. They were not ignorant. Of God's judgment. But then the blessings are read. Verse 28. Uh, sorry, chapter 28. And, and here again, that, that promise of God, if you're diligent, if you observe carefully my commandments, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of, these earth, of, of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you. And listen to the language of Deuteronomy 28 verse 2. They will overtake you. It's not just that God is going to step back like a parent and say, well, I'm glad you did what I told you. Thank you very much. 
What God is saying here is my grace and blessings will, will overwhelm you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. You can't imagine what that would be like, can we? We don't know the depth of that yet. We will in glory. We will when we stand before God fully perfected body and soul in that day of resurrection. We will be there and we will say, wow, what God has given us in the Lord Jesus. Our, our eyes can't behold, our ears can't comprehend Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What God has prepared for those who love him. Israel's hearing this. They're hearing, as, as we read again in verse 33 uh, of chapter Joshua chapter 8, the Lord's desire, greatest desire, was to overwhelmingly bless his people. But did God know that they would struggle to keep his commandments? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What did he set before them? as the token of all of his grace to them. What else is there between these two mountains? It's where the Ark of the Covenant is set. The Ark of the Covenant of God. It is set between these two mountains. You look at verse 33. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the Ark before the priests the Levites, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. This was standing between the blessings and the curses of God. And it was standing for Israel. And God, in making covenant with Israel, understood the struggle that they would have to obey his law. Again, I remind you, what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. The stone tablets that God had with his finger written all Ten Commandments upon. They were to be placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that would come the mercy seat. Which would receive the blood of the Lamb once a year for all the sins of all of God's people. God knew they would break his law. They they would break his law daily in thought, word, and deed, as we do today. But when he made covenant with them, it was with this desire to see in their hearts an earnestness for him and his holiness and righteousness, knowing they would fall short, that they would be dependent always upon God for his mercy. And he established in his covenant with them this mercy seat, this representation of Jesus Christ and his mediatorial work for his people. This would always be there. And God was saying to them, in your struggles, if I can see the heart that loves me, I know you're going to struggle to obey me. But I have covenanted with my son that my mercy will never fail to meet you in your disobedience. Isn't that amazing? In accordance to God's justifying grace received by faith, Israel was being shown that their dependency was upon the Lord Jesus and his mercy. Israel couldn't keep the law. 
even if their hearts were set on doing so. But, oh, Israel, the Father's mercy would be there to meet you. The blood of the sacrifice would be upon this mercy seat where you would be washed clean and forgiven. We heard that this morning in the words of assurance. If any man sins, we have one. An advocate in heaven. (laughs) It's not a question of if, it's when we sin. God is saying, my son is here, he is the Lord, our righteousness. We heard in our call tonight, he ever lives there to intercede for us so that we are saved to the uttermost. That's the renewal that's going on here. It's a renewal to Israel's obedience, yes, but it's a renewal in the mercies of God that are always there for his people. See why the Lord's Day is so important? (laughs) Do you know what happens to you when you forget to repent? And Sometimes we can stand in our sin for days and weeks, And more sin gets added to it as we're lacking that repentance. What happens to our hearts? They grow hard to that particular sin. We don't see it as sin anymore when we don't repent. And the more other sins come alongside of it, the more hard our hearts become against those sins that we don't see them as sins anymore. And we we just become burdened down further and further. What a work of mighty grace by the Spirit. What a work it takes to then take this sinner, this believer, and to renew and revive them to where they come back to God on their hands and knees like the prodigal son and say, I'm I'm not even worthy to be called your child. It it takes that. What makes that parable of the prodigal son so glorious is what is the father's response he's looking for he's waiting he's waiting for this worshiper to he hasn't forgotten the lord has come as a shepherd to seek and to save that which is lost the same parable that's before the prodigal son parable with the shepherd going out and finding that lost sheep he's gone out to look for it finds it he picks it up on his shoulders brings it back I understand the reason that is there is because when a sheep becomes lost, confused, and doesn't know where to go, it flops and it won't move. You've got to pick it up and bring it back. God is saying to Israel, he's saying to us today, I will be faithful to you in this way. Be renewed in my covenant. It doesn't mean you don't have an obligation Because what did Joshua do in in the midst of this? We we read it in verses 31 and 32. Is that he took and and made an altar of stones. And then he took, in accordance with Deuteronomy 27, he he made uh, this uh, two stones uh, and, and, and wrote on two particular stones the very law of God 
that was in the ark. So in the ark is one set of the law of God. And now another set of the law of God was written and now set before the people. We both have the law by which we will be judged. We both know the law that God is going to hold us accountable to. And this altar that was constructed would be the fourth cairn that Israel has now had in the space of a year and a half that would be set up and erected where they would see it as a memorial. We have covenanted with God. We hear your law. That's why we read our, the, the Ten Commandments at least once a month. We hear your law. We hear you, God, telling us how we are to walk before you in blamelessness and holiness. We're not ignorant of it. And this law is the same law that was in the ark. This writing of the law on these stones establishes that divine legal relationship between Israel and the Lord. Why do I emphasize that? Because, dear people of God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what is one of the first things he does with his presence in the redeemed of the Lord? He, Hebrews 8, you read it further on, Hebrews 8, he writes the law of God on our hearts and on our minds. So that, as it says there in Hebrews 8, uh, verse 11, so that we will know God. We know what God requires of us. We are not ignorant of it. But we may be ignorant of this to bring it full circle. What is one of the great things about the law of God? One of the great purposes of the law of God? Open up your hymn books to where the Ten Commandments are. Just to bring this full circle. The Spirit writes the law of God on your hearts so that you will know what's we, we have the introduction, but some say it's probably part of the first commandment. But what are the first words God says in accordance with his law? I am the Lord, your God. God's way of saying, I'm your God. You're my people. And the first five commandments, that phrase is in each one of them. I am the Lord your God, a jealous God. I will visit my iniquity on the fathers who hate me. I have blessings of mercy for thousands who love me and keep my commandments. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Don't take my name in vain. I am the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. <laughs> It's, it's testifying to our hearts. Who are you, people, as Christians? I am God's child. I belong to Him. His name is upon me. And because His name is upon me, His law is over me. And God, so help me by Your grace, I will strive in accordance with Your law to live by it as best I can until that day when your law becomes promises fulfilled in my life 
and I'm able to love you with all my heart and soul and strength. And I'm able to love everyone. It's Christ's love. That's covenant renewal. And, and when you consider it in the realm of remembering the Sabbath, it's covenant renewal, my friends, that we need every, every week. It's not a passing thing to take the Lord's Day to keep it holy. It's remembering who we are, the Spirit working on our hearts and, and in our minds so that we, uh, we know God. We, we know God's law. We know uh, the law of God, not simply as, as two tablets of stones hanging somewhere and telling us what we shouldn't do and what we are called to do. We now see that law in the person and the work of Jesus Christ The law meets us as it met Israel. I am the Lord your God who has redeemed you from Egypt. With the firstborn of Egypt, you're my people. Now, here's my law. Here's my mercy that will meet you. And the same thing is for us today. God comes and says, I have redeemed you. My law is written on your hearts and minds. It's not there to condemn you. There to draw you near to me and help you to know who I am. And every step of the way, the law meets us in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, it's a law of death, not a law of life. It can only bring its curses upon us because we fall short of it. But in Christ, it's a law unto the righteousness of God. God is renewing you in that. Just as he did for Israel, the Old Testament church, so he does for his people. We are being renewed covenantally in our worship to know the Lord our God and to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. Is that your testimony? Is that your heart? Let us pray.